Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. He is the Messiah from the line of David. Matthew shows us that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. Matthew tells us Jesus is going to bring God's blessing to all the nations, just like Moses did. Jesus' kingdom is about God's rescue operation for the whole world. It's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. Everyone is invited. Everyone is called to turn, to repent, to follow Jesus, and to join his family. Matthew is about the people who are unimportant, the nobodies, the irreligious. These are the people who are transformed by their willingness to trust, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Koskinen, and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here at First Christian. And welcome to those of you who are guests, and also welcome to those of you in the East Auditorium. I'm excited to spend time with you today looking at the book of Matthew. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to share a story that my family and I recently went to Disney World, and we were very excited about that. And we went the route of surprising our kids with it. And so we actually were leaving on April 1st, April Fool's Day, and I told Soren, my oldest, he's seven, that the night before, I'm like, hey, tomorrow I'm going to get you. Like, I'm going to get you good, or we're gonna, I'm going to fool you. And he's like, no, you're not. So we sat him down on the bed, and we said, okay, we're going to St. Louis to stay in a hotel and swim. And my other three kids are freaking out. They're like, yeah. And Soren's like, nope, I don't believe you. This isn't happening. And then we actually get to St. Louis and we tell them when we're in the car, actually, we're going to Florida. And then one of my kids was crying because they wanted to swim in the pool in St. Louis. <laughs> and, you know, so our surprises you know, worked and kind of, but we got to Disney World and it was a lot of fun. And it was just kind of a really fun experience that we had put some planning and saving into. And uh, after we had gotten back, somebody asked me at lunch, we were all together with our two families and they said, so how was Disney? And I told them it was a top five experience of my life. And my wife looked at me and she was like, you're married and you have four kids. Like, that doesn't really work. And I'm like, maybe it was bad wording, you know. Uh, but if you know me, you'd know that the thing that I have done most recently is my favorite thing, always. Uh, if you said, hey, Josh, what's your favorite restaurant? I would say, well, it's the one that I went to most recent. Or if you said, what's your favorite vacation? I would say it's the one that I went to. Or definitely favorite movie, it's going to be the one that I most recently watched. And I don't know why, I'm just blown away really easily, I guess. But uh, I recently watched a movie called Collateral Beauty, and in it is a scene that stuck with me at the beginning of the movie uh, that really speaks to truth that I want to look at today as we unpack Matthew chapter 11. And so would you turn your attention to the screens as we watch this clip from Collateral Beauty. What is your why? Why did you even get out of the bed this morning? Why did you eat what you ate? Why did you wear what you wore? Why did you come here? We are here to connect. Life is about people. Advertising 
is about illuminating how our products and services will improve people's lives. Now, how do we do that? Love, time, death. Now these three abstractions connect every single human being on earth. Everything that we covet, everything that we fear not having, everything that we ultimately end up buying is because at the end of the day, we long for love, we wish we had more time, and we fear death. Love, time, death. It's interesting, the big question at the front of that little clip from Collateral Beauty, the what is your why? Something to think about and the fact that in that movie they say we're all, humanity is connected by three abstractions, by love, time, and death. We long for love, we wish we had more time, and we fear death. And I think that is somewhat true, but we are also connected in a much bigger way. And we're going to examine that through Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. And so if you could turn there, uh, there are Bibles in your pews. And if you're in the East Auditorium, there are people walking around right now uh, who can give you a Bible as well. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to uh, take that one uh, in the pew or that you're given to in the East Auditorium as our gift to you. And so... We have this triangle of love, time, and death. And in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, we're going to look and see how Jesus speaks to each of those three things and how that can impact our life in a much greater way that even will go against the status quo of what our culture says is true. And so in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is going around before Matthew 11 takes place, and he's preaching the gospel, and we're in a series, uh, Jesus According to Matthew. So we're spending a significant time through the book of Matthew examining Jesus's life uh, according to uh, Matthew the author. And as Jesus is moving from town to town, he's healing people and he's preaching sermons and he has his disciples following him and he's developing large crowds that are beginning to follow him, seeing the miracles and the healings that have been taking place. And as this is going on, the religious leaders of the day are beginning to take notice of what Jesus is doing. The rulers of the day are beginning to take notice of what Jesus is doing. And even the culture in that time period is doing the same. And so in Matthew 11, we come to this place where Jesus says, hey, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then take my yoke upon you. And this isn't a yoke like Jesus is carrying around eggs, distributing them, you know, or anything like that. The yoke really is the teaching. That is the, te the rabbinic teaching of the day that people would, when they taught, it would be their yoke. And so what Jesus is doing by saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, is Jesus is separating himself from the religious leaders of the day. 
He's saying, I am different than the leaders that are out there. I am different than the rulers, or I'm different than what the culture has to offer. And he's challenging the status quo of the day. And that is what we are going to do, looking at the three abstractions of love, time, and death in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Because Jesus says three words to open verse 28. Jesus says, come to me. So while our culture looks for love in relationships or in possessions or trying to satisfy some deep need that they have, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not how to do it. That's not how you will find love. You will only find love in me. So come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And this idea of being weary and burdened is something that we can all relate to. We've all had times in our life where we felt weary or felt burdened. But the question that we ask in this is if Jesus is separating himself from the religious leaders of the day, from the culture, from the rulers, then we need to ask, why Jesus? And in order to answer that question, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, and we need to know that in Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And then God made the birds and the sea and the land, and God created all these things. And then in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And when God created the birds and the sky and the land and the water and all these living things on earth, for those things, God said, and it is good. But then when God created mankind, God said, and it was very good. Or it can actually be translated as well as powerfully good. Because we are made and created in the image of God. And so we are very good. We are powerfully good. And so then God walked around the garden with Adam and Eve and everything was great and everything was as it should be. And God gave Adam and Eve one, you know, one, no, you know, like do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they saw it and their selfishness built up and they decided to blaze their own trail and they decided to eat from the tree and in entered sin destruction, pain, death, weariness, burdens, all of those things entered when sin arrived. And we needed an answer for that sin. And that answer is Jesus. And so Jesus came, and it says in, first, in uh, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in John 1, verse 14, it says this about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it says that Jesus made his dwelling among us, and Jesus taught us what it looks like to love, taught us what it looks like to live a life that honors God. And Jesus came near to us to be an answer for our sin. And Jesus took our burdens and took our sin all the way to the cross and died for him. 
And sin did not win because Jesus rose from the dead like the choir sang about earlier. And it says in uh, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we may walk in this morning and we may be carrying burdens, we may be feeling weary, we may be trying to look for love in a lot of different places. We may be searching for love through a relationship or through trying to find satisfaction and just grabbing it, whatever we can. But Jesus is saying, hey, the only way that you're going to find what love is, the only way you're going to find what life is, is through me. So come to me. Don't worry about what the culture is saying. Don't worry about the religious checklist that the Pharisees have for you. But come to me, and what is the result? And you will find rest. And so, we only find love in Jesus, but when it comes to time, we find time, we value time by slowing down and by resting. And I know that each and every person here this morning is really good about resting, right? Like, we're, we have that down. We don't even need to talk about this piece. No, like, that's, it's a big problem in our culture that we are so busy, and busy is the enemy of rest, and we have so many things to do, right? But then in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, hey, I will give you rest, And I feel like all of us long for rest, but we really don't fully know what rest looks like. Maybe some of you, when you picture rest, you picture sitting with a book by a fireplace with no kids around and it's just peace and like that is rest for you. Or maybe some of you picture waves crashing up onto the beach and you're, you know, laying out and it's just nice and it's restful. You're probably not picturing Disney World as rest, you know? That's probably not happening. But... Often when we picture rest, we think about vacations. We think, oh, I'm going to experience some rest when I get away. I'm going to experience some rest when I go to this vacation in July or maybe when my, you know, my kids are about to be home for the summer. Like, I'll experience rest when they go back to school in August, you know. Uh, but that is not what Scripture teaches us about rest and the meaning and the value in rest. And in actually... Rest is a commandment. It's in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are, you know, we can get behind most of them, right? Like, honor your father and mother. Like, okay, that's a good thing. You know, kids and students in the room do that. Even adults do that. Um, Do not murder. We can get behind that one. Do not commit adultery. Uh, Don't worship any other idols. And you're like, okay, like, I'm doing good so far. And then we read in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, And we're like, oh, nine out of 10 is an A still, right? Like we can, we can do it. But no, that's not what God has for us. And God actually talks about through the 10 commandments, why we should rest. And in Exodus 20 verse eight, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, that doesn't work in our pursuit of time, does it? You know, as we're packing our calendar and we're wanting to experience the most out of life and we're wanting to go and do all of these things and we're filling our schedule, God in the midst of it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Keep it holy. So in Exodus, the reason given for why we need to rest is because we are to imitate God. And so we learn that we are made and created in the image of God and in the likeness of God. And so deep within who we are is a need for rest. That God has created within us the need for rest. And actually, I I think when we uh, think about, you know, how God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and he created everything in six days, and it says on the seventh day he rests, uh, I don't think God needed a nap for that. Like, I don't think the God who created everything, the almighty God, needed a nap. I believe what God did is God stepped back from doing the work, from creating, and he let it soak in. He appreciated it. He valued it. He sat there and he enjoyed his creation. I picture God on Sabbath sitting with Adam and Eve and just enjoying them, enjoying his creation, which he has called very good, which he has made in his image and in his likeness, and just appreciating it. And so God is offering us the same. God is saying, I'm giving you the gift of the day, and I want you to enjoy it. And not only do I want you to enjoy it, I command you to do that, because that is how you are wired. You are wired to work six days and then be off the seventh to punctuate Days of work with periods of rest. And you are to do that because that is what I have done and you are made and created in my image and that is what I have set up for you. So if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling burdened, Jesus is offering you rest. And that's what it says in Exodus, but the Ten Commandments are mentioned again in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it mentions something totally different. It says in Deuteronomy 10, 13 through 15, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember that you are slaves, you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, it's we are to imitate God. But in Deuteronomy, it's, you are no longer slaves. You are no longer defined by your work. You no longer have to work seven days like the slaves work. You're not defined by the number of bricks you produce in Egypt. You're not defined by your work. You're not defined by your achievements. You are defined by how you rest in me. And so we learn that we have the freedom to actually rest. But time is a luxury we often have and throw away. So if you're sitting here feeling weary, feeling burdened, Jesus is saying, come to me for the source of love, for the source of life, and then the result is, I will give you rest. But there's a responsibility on our end to take it. You see, there's two lists that we all have 
We have a have-to list, meaning there's things that we have to do. We have to go to work. We have to do things around the house or the house is gonna become a disaster. We have to do certain things for our family and our job. We have to get gas if we want our cars to go. We have to get groceries if we wanna eat. We have to do all these things. But then there is this other list that is so important and speaks to God stepping back and valuing it, and that is the get-to list. And sometimes in order for us to experience the get-tos in life, we need to have our have-tos in order before we can really sit back and say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy the day. So maybe for you, Saturday is a great day to just simply sit back and enjoy the gift that God has given in the day, and you get to, um, you get to do that. And so maybe Friday night, you're getting groceries, you're getting gas, and you're get, taking care of all your errands because you know that if you go out on Saturday and you go to Walmart for one thing, that one thing is going to turn into 10 things. Uh, believe me, I know that. But you work really hard on Friday to get all your have-tos done so that on Saturday you can wake up and you can get to step back and appreciate the gift of the day that God has given you. Because here's the truth. Sabbath isn't the reward you get when you finish your work. It is the break you take in the middle of your work. Sabbath is the pause button. And often in our minds, we view it as the stop. But our work never ends. Your work will never end. And so get it to a place where you have all your have-tos in order, where you can press pause and go about it because your work will never end. This is the break that you take in the middle of your work. And Jesus is offering it to you and God is commanding it in two different ways because we are to imitate him and we have the freedom to do that. We are no longer slaves that have to work seven days because Sabbath is a day once a week that reminds you that you are more than what you achieve. Just come to me. I will give you rest, Jesus says. But this goes against the status quo. And so when Jesus is in Matthew 11 and he's saying this, he's saying, hey, I am the source of rest. The religious leaders and the rulers are saying, who does this guy think that he is? And I think our culture would say that too. If we put rest into a rhythm of our practice, our culture would be like, what? Like, how do you do that? I mean, I'm a dad. I have four kids. They have baseball and they have soccer. Life gets busy, I understand. But in the midst of that, God has said, I'm giving you the gift of the day and I want you to enjoy it. Just simply enjoy it. And that is his gift to us. So we find, we only find love in Jesus and we value time by slowing down and resting. And then we have love, time, and death. And at the end of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29, it says this, starting in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I gotta be honest, when I initially read that, I'm thinking, okay, like Jesus, you are, I know I need to learn from you. I know you are gentle and humble in heart. And that is how I will find rest into just giving myself to you. But in verse 30, 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't always think that it's that easy to be a follower of Jesus. I don't always think that it's that easy to, you know, that I, to look at the culture and not have a burden for it. But what is our burden? What is this death that Jesus is speaking to in verse 30? It is the cross. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily. And so it's not a death how culture views death, how culture says, hey, we need to live our life to the fullest. What we want to do, you need to accomplish what you want because you are the number one person in your life. No. Jesus is saying, take up your cross daily and follow me, meaning die to yourself. Allow me to be the leader of your life. Allow me to be in the driver's seat. Take up your cross daily And that is the burden. And that is how Jesus makes the burden lighter. John Piper says it like this, there is nothing heavier and nothing lighter. Heavier if he is only duty, lighter if he is our delight. Lighter if we love him and heavier if we don't. And for the religious leaders of the day, maybe their religious task list list was duty. Maybe it was all, hey, I have to do this because this is what's laid out for me. But no, we get to do those things because that is our delight in Jesus. Jesus, it says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? Why does Jesus say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Because it's hard to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's hard to push ourself aside and say, God, you are the number one person in my life. You are the leader. But it says in scripture, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and that his commandments are not burdensome. And why aren't they burdensome? It's because God carries them with us. We're not alone. We don't serve a king that is sitting up in a palace just watching things take place and that we're on our own in or we're not a part of a religious system where the Pharisees are pointing at the people saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you're not doing this the right way. No, God carries our burden with us. Jesus helps us carry that cross. In Isaiah 46, 4, it says, even to your old age, I am he. And gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. We don't need to do this thing alone. That this life that God has given us, we do not walk it alone. And so if you came here this morning and you have burdens, those aren't just your burdens. God will carry those burdens for you. If you came in here this morning and you've been looking for love in the wrong spots and you haven't been accepting the invitation that Jesus has and come to me, you do not need to do that alone. Jesus wants to walk with you and God has said in Isaiah that he will carry you even to your old age. Till your hairs are gray, I will carry you and I will save that this is the God that we serve. This is the relationship that we have with God. 
And so in that clip, when Will Smith asked the question, what is your why? We know that our why is a person. Our why is a savior. Our why came down to this earth and gave his life for us so that we could have life. Our why wants to be in relationship with us. Our, way, our, way, our why is offering us love. Our why is giving us in a seven day work week, a day for us to enjoy and rest and to appreciate the things that are around us. And our why is asking that we would die daily and that we would let him have control of all of the things that would hold us down in our life. All of the things that come our way because he will take care of it. God will carry you. And so Jesus, in this love, time, and death triangle, Jesus is at the center of all of it. And Jesus is saying what is different from what the culture is saying. And he's saying, hey, I'm offering you a new way of life. And it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it takes the burden off you, and it's light, and it's what you need. All you need to do is accept it. All you need to do is come to me. Quit looking elsewhere. Quit trying to find uh, a way to fix all of your problems on your own because I want to carry you. My life is not my own. My life is God's. And Jesus is offering all of us this amazing thing. And in Matthew 11, we see a glimpse of it. And throughout the rest of Matthew and throughout the rest of the scripture, we know that God is in control all throughout it, that sin will try to weigh us down and sin will try to distort the image of God that is in us. But we know that God in the end defeats sin and God wins that no one is taking Jesus off of his throne and God will never abandon us. And that is the kind of God that we serve. And it's awesome and it's beautiful and we get to be a part of it. And it's in three simple words, come to me. We only find love in Jesus. We value time by slowing down, resting in him, and we are asked to die daily. Let us do that together and let us pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, in the areas in our life where we fall short, in the areas of our life where we try to carry these burdens on our own, God, help us in that. God, we know that you are right there. Help us to take that tiny step towards you and allow you to carry us when we can't make it on our own. God, you are good. We love you. And we ask that you would give us the strength that we need, the courage that we need to go against the status quo of our culture and accept the life that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.